Hey, hey everyone. My name is Agnes Chen and this is a Rise Resilient podcast where we gather and connect so that all can rise resilient. All right, so I'm really excited for today's conversation with Dr. Amanda Sheffield, who is a Regents Professor and the George Kaiser Family Foundation Chair in Child Development and an Extension Specialist at Oklahoma State University in the Department of Human Development and Family Science. She's also an adjunct professor at the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. Dr. Morris has authored numerous articles and chapters on child and adolescent development and the neuroscience of emotion regulation and parenting and is co-editor of the book, Authoritative Parenting, Synthesizing Nurturance and Discipline for Optimal Child Development published by the American Psychological Association. In addition, which we are going to talk about today, Along with Dr. Jennifer Hayes Grudo, she has co-authored the book called Adverse and Protective Childhood Experiences, a developmental perspective that really marries the science of ACEs of adverse childhood experiences with the science on resilience, these protective and compensatory experiences that children have that can mitigate the impact from adversity. Oftentimes, the information regarding how we can raise children with resilience is often overlooked as we really focus on the impact of trauma itself. But this conversation really focuses on how together we can raise these resilient communities. Hello. Hi, can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you great. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? I can. I can hear you just fine. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited that we can connect. Me too. I am really excited to talk to you um, about your book that you co-authored along with Dr. Jennifer Hayes Grudo called Adverse and Protective Childhood Experiences, A Developmental Perspective. Because what I really loved about how you um, approached adverse childhood experiences in this book is you really use the science from, you know, the 1998 ACEs study along with the science on resilience. And you've really made it tangible in how we can support our children, but really our whole communities to be able to grow with resilience. So I would love to really just focus the conversation on really those two things, ACEs and PACEs, as you call them, um, and dive into how, how we can each contribute to each other's resilience. Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. It's been quite a journey. Uh, Jennifer Hayes Grito and I are both developmental psychologists, and we learned about the ACEs study together. She knew about it before I did, and we talked about sort of how ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study, which was um, conducted in the 90s, Kaiser Permanente and in Folletti, and how the power of those 10 items, which really get at family dysfunction, mental health, abuse, and neglect, and how the power of that research, those 10 items, were so predictive of health and mental health outcomes. What are ACEs? 
ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences and comes from the landmark 1998 ACES study by Kaiser Permanente and the Center for Disease Control in the United States of America. This study included more than 17,000 individuals and examined the connection between negative early experiences, ACEs, that occur before the age of 18 and adult health outcomes. The 10 ACEs studied are divided into abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction and include physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, physical and emotional neglect, and household dysfunction, which includes these five environments, living with a parent with a mental illness, with a parent with an addiction, witnessing domestic violence, having a parent who has been incarcerated, and losing a parent to death or divorce. As the Alberta Feminist As the Alberta Family Wellness Initiative explains, these experiences create toxic stress. Children with ongoing unmitigated toxic stress develop patterns of maladaptive behaviors and physiological disruptions that compromise health over the lifespan and therefore increase an individual's risk for negative emotional, behavioral, and social health outcomes, including an increased risk for mental illness and addiction. So although we still use the original 10 ACEs, we now know that the impacts from systemic racism and chronic poverty can create internal environments of toxic stress in a similar way that the original 10 ACEs shared. So what does this all translate to? So to explain this, a scoring system for ACEs was developed where each type of adverse childhood experiences counted as one point. So if a person had none of the events, as described above, in his or her background, the A score was zero. But if someone experienced verbal abuse during their childhood and had no other childhood trauma, this counted as one A score. However, if you experience verbal abuse, along with living with a parent who had a mental illness and had an addiction, your A score would be three. So what are the numbers? So first of all, what the study showed was that ACEs are prevalent. In our communities, two out of three individuals has an A score of one. The study also also showed that people with an A score are more likely to be violent, to have broken marriages, to be incarcerated, have more broken bones, more drug prescriptions, more depression, more autoimmune disease, and more work absenteeism. But what the study also showed was that ACEs do not generally occur in isolation, that if you had one ACE, you were 87% likely to have two or more. In our communities, 16% of individuals have an A score of four or more. People with an A score of four or more were shown to be twice as likely to be smokers, 12 times more likely to have attempted suicide, seven times more likely to be an alcoholic, and 10 times more likely to have injected street drugs. As Dr. Vincent Folletti, one of the key investigators of the original ACEs study reminds us, this combination makes ACEs the leading determinant of health and social well-being of the entire nation. And when we were talking about what we had learned since that time, and we started really thinking about this um, probably about 10 years ago, we realized that most of the research and discussion around ACEs was really in the public health and health community. And there was a lot of information from developmental science and developmental psychology that really spoke to what to do about ACEs. And the literature, the research, the science really wasn't matching up. So for example, for several decades, I've been studying emotion regulation in children and the development of emotion regulation. I've also been researching parenting and the importance of a positive parent-child relationship and resilience. 
And a lot of that research had not really been informing the ACEs study and the ACEs science. So as developmental scientists, we thought, okay, this is this needs to get out there. We need to we know a lot about what to do, how to build resilience, how to tackle the devastating effects of ACEs, which are, you know, these negative experiences, abuse, neglect, um, parental mental health problems, parent going to jail or prison, um, these family dysfunction and the um, abuse and neglect, this sort of constellation of problems, if we can really focus on sort of the positive side of how we can overcome this, because these the, the impact of ACEs, we have a lot of information since the 90s about how it affects our brain and our bodies. So we focus on PACEs, protective and compensatory experiences. And these experiences, like ACEs, are prior to age 18. And we went to the developmental science literature to really pick out what are the, what are the 10 things that we know from science can counteract ACEs. And the PACEs fall into two categories, relationships and resources. And they're not all equal. Uh, having a relationship with a caregiver, that unconditional love is probably the most important thing. Um, but we also recognize that friendships are important, that having a mentor, if your parent is you know, one of the perpetrators of ACEs or you're in a negative home environment, that, that mentor, someone outside the home can play that role of being that advocate for you. We also talk about the importance of volunteering. There's a lot of research, especially as kids get older um, in adolescence and, and early adolescence, that um, it really helps um, children sort of see relationships and build relationships outside of the home, and it gives them a perspective on the broader world. We also have, in terms of belonging, being part of a group, and then we have the basic needs being met, um, you know, which we talk about just having enough food, a safe home, a safe environment. We talk about abilities to learn, having a good school, and um, another pace is having hobbies or activities and then being physically active and also having rules and routines at home. So that's sort of a quick overview of some of the pieces. And we also in the book talk about paces and what they look like at different ages, because obviously, you know, peer relationships are not the same for toddlers as they are for adolescents, but it's still really important for young children to have social interaction and play. So that's kind of a quick overview of paces. I I just wanted to sort of reiterate what you just said about, you know, the science on ACEs, on adverse childhood experiences. It really did focus sort of on those, the negative consequences, the way our brain adapts um, and increases our risk for negative life experiences as we get older. But the what I love about um, the approach that you and Jennifer take is really that you do focus on these paces, on these protective and compensatory experiences that can really increase resilience. And how can parents who have experienced adversity in their childhood and are recognizing sort of the behaviors that they're having, how can they promote paces, these protective experiences within their children? That's an excellent question. So that is something that we talk about in the book is really dealing with your own ACEs because 
There is, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the circle of security research Mm -hmm. program, but that's very attachment based. And one of the concepts in circle of security is called shark music. And, and, and with shark music, it's a lovely video and you're, you're watching someone walk along the beach and there's this peaceful classical music playing in the background. And then you switch the music to be from Jaws, the da-da, da-da. And it changes the whole experience when you hear the music two different ways. And that's a really good way to think about how parents having ACEs, um, experiencing ACEs, how that can affect their parenting. So they have this history of being triggered by different things and and different anxieties and different fears, which at the time, the brain response was adaptive. It got them through. But now they're seeing negativity. They're seeing, they're experiencing fear when really it's just a peaceful scene on the beach. And it's sort of your own um, reckoning with your own history and being aware of how that affects your interaction with your children and with other people. So there's an awareness that's there for sure, being aware of that. And then really there are some skills that you can build around your own emotion regulation, taking care of yourself, calming yourself. Really, we, we talk about paces for adults as well. So you know if you can have that support, those friendships, if you can feel, have those relationships and the, the resources that you need, which is sometimes really challenging, but really self-care and awareness of what's going on in your relationships with your children. And then just kind of realizing about how another concept from infant mental health is we call them angels in the nursery. We talk about ghosts and angels in the nursery. So how these past caregiving relationships affect how you are interacting with your child. So, and and to try to kind of channel those angels that you, that were in your life, um, because it's really easy for those ghosts to come in. So I think, you know, again, it's that awareness, that ability to, to, to calm down and regulate emotions and, and to really facilitate safety in your child through, you know, exploration, safe exploration, not being overprotective, but at the same time being that resource for your child to come back to that can always, you know, you're always providing that secure base, that safe base to come back to. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. You know, and, and I guess maybe on the flip side, then, you know, as a community, you know, when we are working with kids, whether it's, you know, I'm a registered nurse, you know, my patients, whether it's teachers, you know, not knowing what somebody's A score is or what adversity they've gone through or are currently going through. What are some ways that we can really promote these protective and compensatory experiences in kids who we work with and don't know what is going on at home for them? Right. Well, there is a movement for screening for ACEs. And I think, you know, it's one of those things, if you're going to screen for ACEs in a healthcare setting or a social services setting, you have to be able to provide the resources. And you may even screen in such a way that they just write down the number of the total. But um, Jennifer and I both really strongly believe that if you are going to screen for ACEs, you should also provide the PACEs because it gives you something that you can do, something that you can look for, something that you can work toward. So, I mean, we do know that ACEs are common. 
um, and that they co-occur. And so if you think about it, you know, depending on the, the sample, over 50% of people are going to have one ACE. If you think about um, kids who are um, in high-risk situation, a child who's um, been involved with the criminal justice system, the chances of them having two or three or four more ACEs is much higher. So, you know, just kind of thinking that most people experience adversity, whether it's an ACE, whether it's just a parent having mental illness or some form of neglect in the home, these things are common. So just thinking about um, how you can promote these paces, we um, like, you know, just having a handout where we can list them. And I think you've seen our website where you can look at them mm-hmm. and go there. And they're really concrete things that parents can do. And so um, I think that promoting the paces, unlike a lot of some of the resilience research was more about internal characteristics. So it's hard to build resilience if it's about being intelligent or being attractive or, you know, having good innate or temperament that's, you know, good in terms of emotion regulation. But the paces are things, our our characteristics and our um, experiences that parents can actually really foster. And if you look at the list of the paces, we tried to make them concrete things that parents could really work toward. So I think that, you know, just being aware that adversity happens and if it hasn't happened yet and maybe it's not an ace, it might happen later on in life. So the paces, I think, are a good way to just build resilience in general. I think it's good for even um, children who have not experienced aces. These paces can be protective. Yeah, I think that that's brilliant in terms of, you know, as we as we focus and start leaning into using the ACE score, um, the importance of providing paces and tangible ways that an individual can sort of improve their own outcomes is uh, really empowering. So I think, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I am, I, I'm curious to know, you know, I know you and Jennifer are both Regents professors at Oklahoma State University. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I, I recently learned just in reviewing all the work that you both have been doing that Oklahoma is one of the states with the highest number of children with ACEs. Yes, we do have high levels of ACEs in Oklahoma and in Tulsa, where we both reside. You know, I think it has to do with a lot of different things. And Jennifer and I have talked about this. We have a lot of historical trauma in our state in terms of um, not just one trail of tears, but multiple trails of tears ended here in Oklahoma. And so we have a heavy, uh, large Native population. We also have uh, one of the worst race massacres in history that happened about 100 years ago now. And uh, we have a history of racism and racial oppression in um, Oklahoma. We also um, don't always provide the the resources in terms of mental health and support um, that you might see in um, in other states. So I think there's the combination of historical trauma And we talk about this in the book, but, um, you know, intergenerational trauma, we know that and a lot of this research is based on animal models, but even in some human models, looking at the Holocaust survivors, that the changes that happen in the body, these epigenetic changes can be passed from generation to generation. The changes that happen in the brain can be passed from generation to generation through our genes. So there is a, a history of trauma in our state. Um, that is is something that we want to acknowledge. And Jennifer is actually on a task force that's addressing some of this. 
an ACES task force and uh, making recommendations to provide more resources for our children and families to combat some of the adversity that we see. And, you know, it's sort of dealing with the past adversity, the ACEs, but it's also preventing future ACEs. So there is some movement in our state. We have the Center for Integrative Research on Childhood Adversity, which is an NIH-funded $11 million research center focused on ACEs. And so we're doing some basic research around ACEs. Um, and so we have, you know, the, the Circa, this institute that Jennifer is... Um, the leader of, which is also working to combat this. And so in some ways, you know, we're in, we're in the place to study ACEs and to think about resilience because we have a lot of that in our own community. I can imagine how large of a hurdle that is, but I mean, the work that you're doing, have you seen, um, you know, some of the work being implemented in Oklahoma and seeing some of the effects of incorporating paces into into the supports that are provided with individuals? Yeah, we have. We've worked really closely with Tulsa Educare and they've um, we've done um, a variety of workshops with um, with Educare, which is which is similar to Head Start here in Tulsa. We've also um, worked with the um, ACES Task Force and the Potts Family Foundation has shown the resilience film. I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Yes. Yeah. You've shown that in hundreds of communities across Oklahoma and we've had panels um, to talk about ACEs and PACEs. We always talk about PACEs when we talk about ACEs. And so we, we've been doing that work here. You know, we, we had a school board meeting not long ago in Tulsa Public Schools talking about COVID and they talked about PACEs at that meeting. And I was just so happy I wasn't at, at the meeting, but they talked about PACEs because it's becoming something that people are, are talking about and the importance of even if our schools, you know, the health is really important, but kids need to be involved in clubs. They need sports. They need activities. They need that. And so they brought up the idea of paces at that meeting. And so I do think it's becoming more widely discussed. And I do think it takes time to make change, but we're really mm-hmm. excited about this task force. And the report is coming out very soon. And so I think they're going to be making some recommendations more broadly. Amazing. Amazing. I am, I love, um, you know, at the, in the back of your book, there's questions for reflection. And one of my favorite um, um, here in Calgary, um, we have the Alberta Family Wellness Initiative. They sort of put together the brain story certification program that, you know, Harvard started off with the brain story. And they sort of put a bunch of things together to create this certificate program. And in it, they had a symposium where Dr. Robert Anda spoke and it's called, you know, it's about this idea of creating self-healing communities, which you talk about. And I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what is your perspective on how we can really all together create these self-healing communities, knowing what we know about ACEs and especially knowing what we know about PACEs. Yes, um, I think we had Rob and uh, Dr. Anda come to Oklahoma several years ago and also gave the probably a very similar presentation on these self-healing communities. And, you know, one of the things that he talks about, which I think is really important, is just having the conversation. And we have part of this task force is trying to create, we have a, I'm in Tulsa, but OSU also the main campus is in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we have a Payne County Resilience Coalition there that meets regularly. And so it's bringing together people across all different 
um, professions and walks of life, you know, police, teachers, physicians, nurses, social workers, clinicians, researchers, um, faculty, parent, bringing together everyone who has an interest in building resilience and in minimizing and stopping ACEs. And so these communities, when they come together, it's really amazing what can happen. And I think what Dr. Anda talks about is the importance of it, of it being community driven. So sort of from the ground up. And so the communities themselves know what they need. You know, and so really um, saying, well, here's some guidelines. You know, we have these paces, they're research, they're, you know, they're based in research, but the communities know, well, we have this, but we don't have this, or we could put our resources into this. So I think having the conversation, having the resources, and really it's not a lot of resources. It's just sort of infrastructure, some, some champions to bring people together to talk about ACEs, to talk about PACES, to talk about what's going on in their community, and then normalizing it. You know, this is PACES, I mean, ACEs are common. ACEs often co-occur, and the effects are cumulative. So kind of acknowledging that there is a real danger to hiding all of this. Dr. Folletti talked about they would have, this was true, they would have taught me this in medical school. So um, one of the things that we've done is worked with our OSU medical students to, to teach them about ACEs and to teach them about PACEs so that they're aware. But again, I think it's uh, community efforts. It really does have to start at the community level. The work that Dr. Anda is doing is really a wonderful example of that. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite uh, quotes, he, you know, he says he often gets asked, you know, okay, tell me, give me a list of policies or protocols I need to put into place to make this happen. And, and he says, you know, it's not about the, po- the protocols that we put in place. It's about the people and the relationships with the people that we have. And I think that's really profound to come from someone who was so pivotal in this research to really remind us uh, that we need to go back to the people and focus on, you know, who's right in front of us. So yeah, thank you for sharing that, um, that conversation you got to have with him. You know, where does this passion for you come from to really put all of this energy behind this? And what does it mean for you and for the communities that you work in on a personal level? Sure. So for me personally, I am the mother of two teenagers And so I have a 17-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter. And so being a parent and helping them navigate through the different types of stressors, particularly now with COVID and all the other experiences that they have had throughout their childhood, uh, this this is very important to me um, personally, but also working in the community um, a lot of our research and science is, is with high-risk sam- populations. And so families living in poverty, um, families who do not have the resources that make um, raising children um, easy. It certainly is a struggle without the resources, even if they have the relationships in place. And so it's always been a passion of mine to um, to think about early intervention and to think about how to help children early on. Because once you're on a certain trajectory, it's really hard to overcome. Um, not, that, not that we can't, but you know the importance of early intervention, the importance of building those relationships and, and that sense of, of safety early on in life really puts children on a trajectory for success. And so that's always been one of my passions is to 
help young children and families with young children. But also I see it working in my own home and in um, families that um, I work with regularly. So that's sort of where the passion stems from. Amazing. Thank you. Well, I am really grateful for all the work that you and Jennifer are both doing. And I know you guys have your Aces and Paces website, www.acesandpaces.com. You have your book, all your research. You have great resources for parents and just community members in general. And um, I just I'm so grateful for your time today and for sharing all of this information with us. Is there anything else that you wanted to leave us with today? Um, I, it was my pleasure to visit with you. I think this work is really important and I'm excited about it getting out there and being more widely distributed. I do think that um, the paces can really be applied to COVID. And right now, especially in Oklahoma and in the United States, um, our rates are really going up. And so, um, you know, again, I think the importance of providing that safety and security for your kids being kind of, especially when you're quarantining, you know, you have to be your child's playmate and really thinking about, um, and some of that's on the website, but providing, you know, opportunities for kids in a safe way and really thinking about um, keeping the routines and the rules, providing physical activity, thinking of ways to volunteer in a safe way, especially at the holiday season. So um, I encourage parents to persist. It's a really hard time to be a parent right now, despite the age of your child. So, you know, trying to focus on things that you can do, I think is really important. Um, we know, and, and again, I think the we don't know for sure, but we're, we're, there is some evidence that, and, and I think it's probably the case that we're seeing higher rates of abuse and neglect because of the pandemic. Um, it's not being reported as much, but probably because kids are not in school. So I think just being mindful of, you know, helping those that you can and to be intentional about building resilience and paces and talking about um, what's really going on with families right now, because we're, you know, it's hard to talk about resilience and adversity without thinking about the situation that our world is in right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that, that that's a huge thing to chat about. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I, and I also think, um, yeah, thank you for for mentioning, you know, this idea of being intentional with providing paces and sort of the resources that can increase a child's resilience. Because sometimes I think as parents, I know for myself, we think that this should be intuitive, and it should just come naturally. But sometimes we really have to step back and say, what can I do that will support my child, my child in the best way. Um, so thank you for talking about that. Amanda, thank you so much for just everything for all your information and all your work. I'm I'm really grateful that you you shared part of that today with me. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. Oh, 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 oh,